Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, friends, and thank you for joining us for yet another episode here at Everyday Truth. I have a first-time introduction here at uh, Everyday Truth. Uh, Instead of a mug or even a postcard, I received this, look at this, this Captain Crunch vinyl miniature person, I guess. It's a cereal box with legs. But there it is from my good friend, Chris. And uh, I'm telling you, when it comes to ranking, you say, well, why don't you take it out of the box to uh, show us it better? Because I'm sure that this is going to be a collector's item in year to come. I'm going to give this to my grandchildren. But uh, yeah, when it comes to ranking coffee, hey, Tim Hortons is number one. But when it comes to ranking cereal, come on. Captain Crunch is number one. There's no argument about that. Don't even don't even argue with me. There, there's not even a number two. It's it's Captain Crunch. So Chris, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, we are in Mark chapter three, uh, in our study of the book of Mark, and we began talking last episode about the Sabbath day controversies in the ministry of Jesus and how that this one law about the Sabbath had become this this huge, complex series of man-made, just uh, petty little laws by which really the religious leaders of that day held people in bondage. I think that's kind of the idea that Jesus was referring to when he said in Matthew 11, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Why? Because the religious leaders of the day had all of these external laws that they had made application of that they held everyone else accountable for, but then they created these really innovative loopholes for themselves. And it was just very, very burdensome upon the people. So Jesus deals with this in his public ministry. Look at verse number one of chapter three. The Bible says, and he entered again into the synagogue. So remember, Jesus as a traveling rabbi would be welcomed to speak in the synagogue. Uh, There were a series of readings that took place in the synagogue. They would read from the the law, the Torah, and read from the prophets. And then uh, the last reader would also sit down and, and give commentary or give a message. So Jesus here is an invited guest into a synagogue. And watch what happens, though. Uh, the, the message is not what is, is brought out here. It's what happens in the service. Look at it, verse number one. And so he entered into the synagogue, and there was a man there that had a withered hand. So we don't know, uh, understand all that that means, but he had some kind of a birth defect. Or maybe it was a situation where he was in, in an accident Uh, as a child or whatever, but whatever the situation was, his hand was withered, uh, maybe uh, malformed or or whatever the case may be. And obviously that's a very, that's a very outward and obvious thing. 
you can't really hide your hands. It's not like you have a scar on your chest or on your leg that maybe can be covered up by clothing. Uh, using the hands, obviously, is something that someone does every day. So this is a not only a deformity, but a disability in this person's life. And then there were those that were shallow thinkers that would assume that because he had a deformity, maybe God was mad at him, or maybe he had sinned or his parents had sinned, and this was God's judgment on his life. That was the conception uh, back in those days. I think about John chapter 9, where the disciples asked Jesus about that blind man. You know, who sinned? Was it was it this man who sinned, or did his parents sin? I mean, he's blind, so obviously this is a judgment for some kind of sin. And remember, Jesus had to correct their thinking about that. But that was their thinking. Look at verse number two. And they watched him. So who are they? The religious leaders. That They're watching him. Remember last episode, we talked about how they were watching the disciples as they walked through those cornfields and ready to pounce on them and to accuse them of being lawbreakers. And so now Jesus has bested them in that argument, but now they're in the synagogue. Here's this man with a withered hand, and they're just watching. What is Jesus going to do? Because if he heals this man on the Sabbath day, then that's the breaking the law of external application. You're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath day. You're not allowed to, you know, that's like a doctor's visit. You got to wait until the next day. Think, just think about how crazy their thinking was, that they couldn't think about a miracle. They couldn't think about Christ. They couldn't think about helping people. All they could think about was the adherence to their own little man-made petty rules. Look at verse number two again. So they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. So what is their motive for being at the synagogue that day? Well, their motive is not to enjoy God. Their motive is not to learn more of scripture. Their motive is not to have the, the right kind of fellowship with each other. Their motive is not even to rest. Now think about it. That was the purpose of the Sabbath day. They're missing all of it. But they're so focused on their little man-made rules that they, they come in with the worst of motives. They're coming hoping that Jesus does something that breaks their rules so that they can uh, respond to that. I mean, they are so far gone from the very purpose of the Bible that uh, it's almost irrecoverable. Look at verse number three. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. Now, I love that about the Lord. Now, the Lord knows their motives, and the Lord knows our motives as well. And so what does the Lord do? Well, what he could have done is he could have just healed him. Um, he could have healed him silently or uh, unobtrusively. He could have healed him secretly, right? Uh, and not made it a big deal. But no, Jesus is going to deal with the issue. And the issue here is that they have elevated the man-made rules. They have elevated their tradition to an equal authority or even a greater authority than the Bible itself. And even though Jesus has taught them how wrong that was last chapter, 
So what does Jesus do? Jesus welcomes this, this contest, if you will. And he says to the man, stand up. So he's rather than doing this quietly and secretly, he's doing this openly and all eyes are going to be upon this man. Look at verse number four. And he said unto them, so he has the man stand up, but before he heals the man and before he even speaks to the man. Now think about this. So you have a packed room at the synagogue. You have one man standing up. Jesus has just called him out. No one else really knows the motives of these religious leaders, but Jesus is going to demonstrate his authority and demonstrate how bad their thinking is in front of the onlooking crowd. So so watch what he says here in verse number four. And he said to them, the religious leaders, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? So let me just break this down categorically and very simply and generally. You know, is the Sabbath day a, a day to do good or is it a day to do evil? And I think that question itself was such a rebuke. Why? Because Jesus obviously intended to do good on the Sabbath day, both in his teaching, but also in the healing. But by asking that question, really what that did was reveal the motive of their heart. Because why were they there? They were there to do evil. They were there to trip somebody up. They were there to get Jesus. They were there with total disregard for the health and well-being of this man. And so Jesus asked the very general question, is the Sabbath day the purpose of the Sabbath day, the why of the Sabbath day, to do good or evil? And then he asks a follow-up question, verse number four. Is it to save life? Is the Sabbath day about saving life or to kill? So again, the question itself cannot be answered by these religious leaders because the question is an indictment. The verse number four again uh, is to, to save life or to kill, but they held their peace. You know, Jesus would often put people in situations where, you know, what do we say? You know, if we give the right answer, then that condemns ourselves. If we give the wrong answer, then that condemns us because it reveals us. So we have nothing to say. So they're there sitting in awkward silence. Well, I mean, now here's their opportunity to say, hey, um, uh, uh, don't do that. That would be wrong to heal him. I mean, after all, the man has been standing up now in front of them. All the people see him. All the people know he has a withered hand. All the people anticipate what Jesus is about to do. But Jesus says, hey, should I do this or not? Guys, should I do this or not? And they can't answer, can they? So watch, watch what Jesus uh, does in verse number five. And when he looked around about them with anger. Now that's, that's a heavy verse because you don't read that often in the Bible, do you? But the Bible says he looked on them with anger. Now, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. But when Jesus was angry, that's a righteous anger. That's a righteous indignation. Anger in and of itself is not wrong. And so what, what is Je- Jesus is angry. He's angry with these people that are more concerned about manipulating others 
and using the law of God as a pretext for their own power than, than they are about helping people and loving people and really expressing the purpose of the Sabbath. And this angers the Lord because they are, they are destroying the very purpose of that wonderful day that God had in, in, instituted. So he looks on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart. So there's anger, there's grief. Uh, why? Because these, these men are rebellion, are rebellious, they refuse to see. Then the Bible says, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. Boy, Jesus is making this thing as public as possible. The man is already standing. Now he says, take your hand and show it. Put it out. Now, think about how embarrassing that would be. You know, people that have a deformity usually try to hide it. They, they usually don't want you to see it. They try to cover it up. They try to uh, mitigate its public, uh, it as a public spectacle. But what does Jesus do? Jesus, show me. Show, show me. Stand up and show me your issue. I love it. And the Bible says here, and he stretched out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. The miracle takes place right in front of them. Can you even begin to imagine the excitement, the, the awe, the wonder, not only of that man, certainly, but of that crowd and even of, of those leaders that they saw this man's hand restored right in front of them. Now, verse number, quickly, verse number six, and the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Interesting. The Pharisees, instead of repenting, instead of uh, seeing the hardness of their own heart and getting right and seeing this, this marvelous miracle, it just further entrenched them in their stubbornness, in their hatred of the Lord, uh, their their petty grievance with his authority. And the Bible says they ran out and consorted with the Herodians. So the Herodians were those that were supportive of Herod the Great, supportive of the, the children of Herod that were now ruling, like Herod Antipas and Herod Philip. Uh, these were This was a corrupt regime. Uh, this was a regime that, that represented Rome to the, the Jewish nation. And the Pharisees typically would hate the Herodians. They had nothing in common. But here, the Pharisees and the Herodians are getting together. Why? Because they have a com common enemy and a common threat to their authority, whose name is Jesus. Boy, I tell you what, uh, error has strange bedfellows. And we find that right here in Mark chapter 3. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. We're going to jump into verse number seven next episode. Hope you'll join us. Appreciate your faithfulness to the podcast. Hope you have a great day. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.